Hello and welcome along to this edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast brought to you by our main partners, Kaiser. This podcast shines a light on the hot topics and contemporary thinking emanating from across high-performance sports. To help us to do just that, we bring you thought-provoking conversations with practitioners, senior coaches, athletes and sporting directors, the individuals at the top of their game. My name is Henry Breckenridge. I work in the content team here at Leaders and joining me for this episode is friend, colleague and a regular voice for our existing podcast listeners, John Porch, editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute. John, how are you? I'm very well, Henry. Very well indeed. And I'm just excited to welcome you to the show. It's great to finally have some company here in the Leaders studio and I'm very excited for today's guest. Absolutely. We've got Scott Han on the show today. Scott is the head coach for British gymnast Max Whitlock. Max, a three-time Olympic gold medal winner. Some of you who are familiar with the Leaders Performance Institute may be aware of who Scott is and what he does, given his involvement at some of our events in the past as a speaker. But John, I'm interested, what stood out from the conversation for you? Well, I really enjoyed listening to Scott talk about the journey he's been on with Max. I think he said their relationship was two decades long. They've been together for the best part of 20 years. And it was just interesting to hear him describe that coaching dynamic, their approach to feedback, as well as the importance of language and choosing your words carefully as a coach. And of course, he spoke very eloquently about mental health in high performance as well, which is of course a hot topic at the moment. Plenty of topics covered and plenty of material to get right into. So without any further ado, Let's bring you the episode with Scott Han, head coach for Max Whitlock. Enjoy. Scott, welcome to the Leader Studio. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. You've been head coach with Max Whitlock for uh, over 20 years now, I think. So as an entry point into this conversation and keeping uh, in touch with the scoring system in gymnastics. I've got a hypothetical question for you, and I think it's a good time for you to reflect given that 20-year tenure. So first question, how would you score yourself out of 10 as Max's head coach over the 20 years? Lovely question to start off with. Well, it's got to be a 10, of course. <laughs> it would be wrong of me not to say that. No, but in all, in all seriousness, I think uh, looking back, Um, it's really nice to reflect from time to time and actually think about that journey. And one of the key things that I think I've learned on that journey is how to look at situations, good and bad, and learn from both of them. And I think what I would score myself highly on is actually being able to sort of take the learnings from from the disappointments and then adapt to make them better in the future. In terms of, um, you know, just being a, a general Coach, I, I, I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask Max on that one, but it's been pretty successful. So I'm, I'm quite happy with the journey. We'll give you a turn across the board, Scott. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> Scott, you, you're head coach for, for Max, but you're also his brother-in-law. Not something you see too often in high-performance sports. So I'm interested, how do you compartmentalise different aspects of your relationship with Max? No, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I think I should start by saying it didn't start like that. Um, it would have been a bit strange if it did, I guess. Um, when you start coaching young athletes, you have to take a specific approach. Your language is very different. You're more leading their program. You're more guiding them. You're more you're doing a lot more work to help develop them holistically alongside being an athlete. And I think on that journey, you've got to be able to adapt along the way. And this is where a lot of coaches do get it wrong 
and, and, and even parents, I see parents get this wrong, where their child goes through that change, puberty, if you like, and they still expect to coach or parent the same way that they was when they was youngsters. And I think that's one of the things that I was able to do quite um, fluidly with Max was change my approach a little bit because of his personality. He was very easygoing and very coachable. And when he did turn into that space cadet that we all know around the age of 15, 16, he was actually all right. He wasn't, he wasn't a challenge in that way. So I was able to sort of change that dynamic slightly so that it was more of a partnership. So I was giving that guidance, but trying to bring him in a lot more to what his program was. So he was giving me a lot of feedback and the feedback I felt may not have been the best feedback from him. I'd guide him in that way. And then of course that develops into coaching an adult where they lead their program and you're there to help support and again, offer the, offer your advice and your guidance. But at the time when Max married my sister-in-law, they'd obviously been dating for a period of time. And I, I can see that that may have caused problems in, in other areas. But with us, it, it actually enhanced our relationship and it made it better. It made the whole journey much more as one. So we was a unit. Obviously, we was a family going forwards. You know, sure, there was challenges on the way, but every single challenge was open communication and and easily resolved and again because of my mindset any challenge was also an opportunity to grow so you know that actually enhanced that and as as things grew into the future um it made things so much more you know when there was a success it was more than a success if that makes sense it was um it was a real privilege to be part of that journey with max excellent so uh, no feuds around the christmas dinner table then <laughs> no, no, fortunately not. Well, you say that, not through me and Max, maybe through the sister-in-laws at times. <laughs> Very good. And Scott, in your answer just now, you mentioned coachability. So for a gymnastics coach, what is important about coachability? What factors go into saying someone is coachable? Well, firstly, before I answer the question, I want to say that quite often the best people are the most difficult because they're pushing those boundaries and they're bringing something new a new dynamic to the table and um, I think that's what we're trying to enhance in British gymnastics at the moment is trying to encourage those individuals to actually bring their own dynamics to the table as well so we can embrace those and I think it's really important to recognize that someone that may be perceived as being difficult might actually just be incredibly exceptional. So that's really important that as a leader or as a coach, you're able to identify that and not label it as a problem or not conforming. But I think to answer your question, if someone's got the drive to work, the passion to, to push themselves and the willingness to explore what their capabilities are, you're half the way there. If someone's passionate and driven, it's so much easier to be able to, to help them on their journey. If quite often you get a talented gymnast or a talented athlete come through the door and you identify them talented because they're physically talented, but it's got to match with their mental capacity and their mental talent. Because if the two don't align, you can sometimes be mistaken for their talent just by their physical attributes. And if they don't align, it can come across that they don't want to do that work or they don't want to, but actually maybe their their mental 
sort of capacity or potential is lower than their physical and that's absolutely fine so it's really important to identify that as early as you can so that you can just help the athlete reach their potential and you know have those open honest conversations about the realistic goals and targets for them from the start i see many many times a coach get excited because they've got this talented kid come in the door, physically talented kid that can do everything. So they start talking about where we're going to go, what we're going to do, what we're going to achieve. But because they've not taken that time to understand their mental talent, let's say, instantly the, the, the athlete is starting to already build barriers because they're not aligned with what the coach is saying. So that's really, really important. Where does the balance sit? It's a journey. The balance sits on experience and going on that journey together. And of course, when you start, normally you have several athletes that you're working with. You give them the opportunity because opportunity is a key word for me. You don't try to seal in those limitations by your own aspirations or by your own visions. You try to, to let their, their own thoughts and aspirations come through and help develop those and guide those along the way. And then by doing that, you'll start to have that communication and build that mutual trust which is essential and with that they will start to articulate how they feel and you'll start picking up on how they feel and you can actually start to identify what their ceilings are what their ticks are what you know what their potential is ultimately both physically and mentally and then try to align that appropriately to get them to be the best they they can be not the best that you think they can be if that makes sense. It certainly does. And you describe it as a journey that you've been on with Max. You've been his coach for the best part of two decades and you've been to multiple competitions, world championships, not least the Olympic Games. And every day it's about training, it's about repetition, committing to routines, trying to perfect them. But how has the language you used during that time in your relationship as athlete to coach with Max evolved? You obviously talk to him a different way now to you how you did when he was 12 or when he was a teenager or perhaps at his first Olympic Games. How has that evolved? It'd be interesting to hear you describe a little bit about how that's evolved from, I guess, adolescence right through to adulthood. No, absolutely. And I think it's a really good question because it's actually something that I'm working on really hard in my technical advisor's role at British Gymnastics, trying to, to bring language into this because language is absolutely key because you can say two things exactly the same, exactly the same words, but you can say them in two different ways. Uh, and body language is essential as well. And I think using appropriate language can either motivate someone or do demotivate someone instantly in a heartbeat. Um, the way that you deliver your feedback, because sometimes you have to deliver hard news or you have to give some hard truths. And you can do that with empathy and with understanding and with sympathy, or you can do it just straight down the line. And I think one thing that I always say is people at the end of a journey, they don't really remember what you've said to them, but they will always remember how you've made them feel. And that will last a lifetime. So it's really important that that language is key in that. And that's what I'm working on with British Gymnastics at the moment to make sure that the, the coaches are, are upskilled to be able to deliver that type of language when they're developing their athletes, um, like I have with Max, because there was a time when I was giving Max lots of information, lots of information about uh, where he sat within the team, what he needed to do to achieve. And, and he actually sat down with me and um, this was quite a, a key significant moment in, in our career. And he actually said to me, look, I appreciate what you're, saying but I don't need to know everything because I stress about it 
And the role, he didn't say this, but the role of the coach isn't always to give that information. It's to process it and be able to give the necessary information so that that athlete can take what they need on board to be the best they can. And sometimes that is hard for a coach to carry that, but it's essential because if you overload an athlete or under um, articulate, both of those things can have negative side effects or negative impacts, let's say, on their career. So it is an art, but that art is learned through a journey and through making mistakes, essentially. And, um, you know, I'm not too modest to say I've made lots and lots of mistakes on my journey, but the way that I like to look at that is I've had lots and lots of learning opportunities that I've taken on board. And I like to think that um, I'm in a position now where I can actually help others do what I've been able to do in the on my journey. And where is the best place for those conversations to take place? Is it at the gym? Is it around the table with having a coffee afterwards? And what sort of language are you using? If we looked at a transcript, is it full sentences or is it just little words to supplement things that are happening here and there? So, so the first answer to your question, it could be anywhere. Uh, you've you've got to um, you've got to have a bit of intuition about you. You've got to be able to feel. Um, you know, have that emotional intelligence to sort of read the situation. And sometimes you might say, look, let's have a chat tomorrow and set up a bit more of a formal setup. Sometimes you might just give some feedback in the moment. No is the answer to the next bit. It's never scripted. Um, I'm sure over the years, there's probably some um, similarities on the way that I speak. But it was actually funny. We was having a laugh the other day. Um, Max was doing a bit on pommel. Because some, like certain areas, you say the same thing a lot, or there's a mistake that you go over a lot, you, you start to use little bits of sign language. So, so he did this thing, and I just looked across at him, and I just went like that, I'm bending my fingers. And, um, you know, it was, he knew exactly what I meant. But I actually thought about it, and I said to him, can you imagine what people outside are thinking when you've just done a pommel routine and all I've done is stick my two fingers up and bend them a couple of times and then walk off. Um, so again, uh, perception is key. And I think you've got to take that on board uh, because quite often we are in a goldfish bowl as coaches and as leaders and people will have a perception of the way that you're coaching all the time. But we laughed about it and uh, he knew exactly what, what, what I meant. And he went and uh, corrected that mistake and it was great. And you've already spoken a little bit about how feedback delivered in the right way can deliver the best performance, you know, a medal winning performance, or it can be absolutely catastrophic. It's something you've said several times in the past, but how do you know when the athlete is ready to receive constructive or developmental feedback? What signals are you looking for from the individual? Well, certainly timing in terms of what you've seen. So if it's something that's been perceived as a failure on their part, I think you've got to think a little bit about when you when you give that feedback. Or if it's a if it's a dangerous moment, sometimes you have to intervene quickly. Um, and sometimes you've got to to act in the moment. Uh, I think one of my my biggest memories um, are at the World Championships in 2015. For that whole year, we had prepared on the back of a, a dodgy world championships in 2014, we prepared just to reduce Max's start scores a little bit on each apparatus to build his confidence going into 2015. So that he went to the competition, was successful, didn't matter whether he won medals or not, so that he had that confidence moving into 2016. That was the strategy. So we spent the best part of 12 months on these lowered start scores. So there's a certain skill on pommel horse that he didn't even do or, or practice for the whole of that of that time because we made that clear decision. But in the pommel final, 
um, Max was actually last up and um, the guys that were going before him were were getting the scores were coming out and um, uh, Lewis Smith went up and we was actually in the tunnel and we was um, walking back from the warm-up gym so there was no time to practice anything and I saw Lewis's score come up and it was incredible it was it was unbeatable on the routine that Max was doing and in that moment I thought we've had this whole strategy we've had this whole preparation we've stuck to everything but I can't not give him the opportunity to at least consider doing a bigger routine so so i i did i took i you know and again this is based on a mutual respect and that relationship that's built over time i felt that i could actually do that in that moment without affecting him but of course i was really really worried that i was going to affect him so i said to him look max do you want to just try and get a medal at this competition or do you want to be the first ever male world champion and he looked at me and he knew exactly what i meant <laughs> he knew exactly what i was referring to and he said what what do i need to do and I said, well, you've got some options. You know, you can either do, uh, it's, it's called a Russian Wendy swing. You can either do one extra Russian or two extra Russians. So again, he looked at me and nodded and said, okay, what do you want me to do? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm trying to put this on you, Max. I don't want to take this this all on myself. So I said to him, like, I, I would probably say, let's go for the double because you haven't you haven't prepared or done any of these skills. So I think it's a bit too much of a risk to go for the for the triple. And he said, okay, I'll I'll, I'll do that. And of course, I said to him, brilliant, great, great decision. It will be absolutely fine. Of course, in my head, I'm thinking, what the hell have I just done? <laughs> you know, because a medal is a medal at the end of the day. He was well prepared. Everything was great. It, it put one tenth on his pommel routine. And he went out there and he put his arm up. And he'd done his first element and he wobbled a little bit. And I just thought, oh, my God, that's like that's, that's because I've had that conversation with him. And then he just went, boom, legs together, just smashed the rest of his routine. And um, his score come out and he beat Lewis by that one-tenth that we changed the routine by. If he hadn't, because his start score was higher, it would have been a tie break. And because his start score was higher, it would put him into second place. Um, so that that decision, that bold decision, was exactly correct. But it it was it's such a fine line between bold, be, between being bold and reckless. And I made that choice in my head to have that dis uh, discussion with him based on our relationship, based on our experience and based on that mutual trust. And thank God it paid off. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like you choose your words very carefully, but are there some things you just prefer not to say? Well, that was my that was going to be my second point. Sometimes silence is more powerful feedback than actually giving feedback. Sometimes just saying nothing and giving the athlete that time to re reflect on what they've done themselves. Because actually they are the experts and they go on this journey. And although the coach is ingrained in you, it's inbuilt in you to give feedback and support, sometimes the support they need is for you just to stand there and stand next to them and say nothing. And it's really, really powerful. And again, it comes down to that intuition and those nuances that you have to learn along the way. And it all comes down to that experience that you gain on a journey. So it's really important to have an open mind as a coach and as a leader so that you can, you know, because you've got your thoughts. You've, all, you've always got your thoughts and your beliefs and your opinions, but sometimes they can get in the way. So sometimes you can hold them back, just listen, learn, reflect, and then proceed takes confidence as well doesn't it it does it takes a lot of confidence especially especially where we are at the moment in our sport there's a big coaching shift to making sure that the athletes are leading their programs and there's been huge success where the coaches have been very 
at the forefront of those programs. So it's taken a lot of confidence in a lot of people to be able to make that shift. But I think there's, there's some real positive movements and dynamics happening within our sport in particular, but I think within a lot of sports that I think is just going to see a real positive uplift for the athletes, but also for the coaches alike. Back to the conversation in a moment, but first a word about our main partners, Kaiser. For over 40 years, Kaiser has been at the cutting edge of the fitness industry. Kaiser Strength products utilize pneumatic technology and dynamic variable resistance, which allows the user to build strength at any speed. And it offers an unrivaled opportunity to work towards any training goal. Kaiser's cardio products are smooth, silent, compact, and designed with the user in mind. Built with Bluetooth integrated technology, the simplistic yet striking design offers unmatched user longevity. Simply put, Kaiser Equipment raises the bar in elevating human performance for everyone. If you'd like to hear more, then please get in touch with the leaders team, who will be delighted to introduce you to the right person at Kaiser. Alternatively, visit kaiser.com to find out more. And now, back to the conversation. When you make big decisions like that, Scott, perhaps ones that aren't quite so last minute as that one was in the tunnel, but ones that are still influential when it comes to deciding performance outcomes. Have you got like a specific approach? I know you just mentioned their intuition um, and having a bit of a gut feel, but is there almost, I guess, a bit of a a recipe that you have or um, a checklist that you've got for making those big decisions? Yeah. First of all, no knee-jerk reactions. Never. You've always got to take your time to think about what you're actually thinking. So take the time to, to mull it over yourself. The second thing is communicate communication is really really key and um, the older the athlete gets the more you can communicate but you can do that with younger athletes as well but you just use different language and probably wouldn't ever put that decision on their shoulders you'd give them two or three options that you know all of those options are going to be suitable but they're able to choose one of those options Uh, but certainly with a world-class fully-fledged adult uh, it's all about that communication and getting their views and quite often They'll have a conversation, but they'll come back to you and, and say, what are your thoughts? And, and I'll, I'll be guided by you. That means that they've bought into your decision because if you make a decision, quite often the athlete will follow it, but you don't know that they've actually necessarily bought into it. And if they haven't bought into it, they're not fully behind it. And there will always be that little bit of um, anxiety going into an event and, of course, any anxiety any unnecessary anxiety is going to potentially um, affect the performance so it's really important they're engaged and and bought into it so communication is is absolutely key And and i think as well after communication and reflection it's practice it so once you've made that decision don't uh, apart from if it's a last minute decision like I just described a minute ago, give yourself the time just to practice that a little bit to make sure it is the right decision. So if you've got a window of opportunity where you can change things around, because you don't want to change too much. Consistency is absolutely essential when you're preparing any athlete for any any big event. Uh, so it's important not to be erratic. But if you've got a small window where you can practice those changes a little bit, I think that's really important. So those those things together are sort of my baseline. But of course, there's never any two things that are the same in gymnastics ever. On the flip side, could you tell us about a time when you when you made a big call that didn't go well? Sort of if you could set the scene for us and sort of... Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um 
I'll start by saying again, it was one of the biggest learning moments and one of the most important parts of our journey, both myself and Max. So 2014, I spoke a little bit about the World Championships not being so great. But actually, the beginning of the year was fantastic. Max went to European Championships, smashed everything. It gave me the confidence. It gave him the confidence. We we went to the Commonwealth Games because that was a year of the Commonwealth Games. And I think he, I mean, he competed day after day after day. He didn't make one single mistake in the whole competition, which is is unheard of. But that gave me the confidence. And I started using language like we're going to the world championships to try and challenge Uchimura, who was like the king of gymnastics at that time. I did a couple of news um, interviews for, for different outlets. And I said things like, I believe Max can beat Uchimura. I be-. And what I didn't realize was happening was it was putting pressure on Max. We also made a decision that we wanted to do things slightly differently moving into that competition. So we spoke about that with the head coach at the time and and put those things forwards. But we did it in a way that without realizing it, it was putting more pressure on the performance. So we went out there and all of a sudden there was this expectation on Max's shoulders that will happen naturally when you're successful, but it was too much. It was too much. Um, and, you know, we was getting things told, told to us directly that, you know, we've changed a lot of these things around. So we expect a result. We expect you to do well. And of course, that really put huge pressure on Max. And while some of that language we felt probably wasn't always needed, I did feel partly responsible for that. So Max went out and didn't perform like he usually does. He didn't make any finals at that competition. And um, on reflection, it was, you know, I I look at all of the things leading up to it. But looking back, it was also one of the most crucial learning points because we, we, we looked at every single part of that competition, you know, pulled it to pieces. Max had two or three days off completely, was in China, so we couldn't speak to the family because the time difference was awful. He started eating like chocolate and cake and, you know, just didn't care anymore. Like he'd given, like not given up, but after that competition, he'd accepted it. But then there was an injury in the competition. Um, Niall Wilson, one of the other athletes that was in the team, couldn't compete in the all-around. And Max had got enough in his score to to qualify for the all-around, but behind two British other athletes. So there's only two that go to the final. Because Niall had pulled out, he all of a sudden had this opportunity. So with no training, he felt like he didn't deserve to be there. The little bit of training we did beforehand was an absolute disaster. We went out and I just said to him before we went out, do you know what? This has been a roller coaster of a journey up to this point. We've both expressed how uncomfortable this situation has been. So let's just go out of this. Me and you, we're starting on different apparatus to everyone else. Let's just enjoy every single minute. And I could just see the pressure lift like coming off of him. And, he, and he's just like, yeah. Let's just go out. And we started on Pommel and he scored 16 something, like the highest score of the competition and just went round and uh, come second in the world. So even at that disaster, disaster of a competition, we took that opportunity and um, he played second. So all of that gold dust that we learned and still come away with a result was just one of the most incredible moments of, I think, both of our careers. That was a very long answer.
just to come back to um, one of the first things you said as part of that answer about you know you saying things uh, in interviews, maybe to the media about Max's title bid or the fact that he was challenging a major athlete, um, one of the best, as you said. When you realised that you were putting that pressure on Max, did he come to you and say, I think this is too much? Or was this something that you acknowledged yourself? Like, How did that sort of learning come about? In that situation, that was my reflections myself. Uh, like I said to you earlier, he did actually come to me with some of the information I was giving him at a later point as well. Um, but again, he felt comfortable and aligned with me so that he was able to do that. But that was that was definitely a reflection on my part for that competition. And when you make the right decision, so if you've made a decision with Max, you've, made, you've reached an understanding and you proceed along a certain path, you've already described some examples today already, but that's not the end point. What is the key to managing those decisions effectively? The key uh, to making big decisions is number one, information. How you're going to gather that information is communication and how you're going to build that trust and mutual respect to be able to have those conversations is going on that journey with an open mind and building relationships. Having that mutual trust and respect will build confidence and ultimately, if you're confident, whatever decisions you make will be bought into and nine times out of 10 will be the right one. And if they're not, you have the confidence to learn from them. Scott, you've spoken at one of our leaders events in the past, and I think you were speaking with Joe Cole, who works at the Royal Academy of Music. Um, and I think you were speaking specifically about delivering feedback and the session was about comparing and contrasting between British gymnastics and the Royal Academy of Music. And I think it sort of speaks to a wider point about learning from other disciplines. Obviously, you working in British gymnastics and Joe working in the Royal Academy. So when you go about your own self-development, do you place an emphasis on learning from areas that are outside of your sport and then also areas that are sort of outside of sports? One thing I'll, I'll say at the start is that I am very aware of um, a lot of the things that I do are part of my upbringing and my life and my journey. I didn't know at the time, but looking back, there's certain things that I can see that I experience on the way naturally. So I, I thought, I was interested in that. So I started to open my mind to any conversation I had with anybody from any walk of life, not just another sport. And that was quite liberating in a way. And I learned a lot of things from a lot of different people, quite often what not to do, as well as what to bring. And trying different things only broadens your horizons. So I think it's absolutely integral. And that talk I did as well, that actually opened my eyes a lot to how things worked in, in different environments. And just a little while ago, we was doing a, a project on loading and we was actually working um, with and, and got a speaker from the Royal School of Ballet. And there are so many similarities between what they do and what we do. Uh, so I took away so many different things from that conversation as well. So I think it's absolutely essential to not be so closed minded that you think you know everything and open your, your mindset to every opportunity that comes your way, because it's only going to help grow you as a person and as a leader. And practically speaking, how do you sort of go about that? I imagine the schedule for you is pretty full on. You know, you're either traveling or Max is competing uh, or you're training. So how do you kind of practically go about sort of self-development? Well, it's, it's a it's a 
interesting one because I've never really gone out, apart from mandatory qualifications, I've never gone out to seek stuff. I've only ever used my experiences as a learning opportunity. However, British Gymnastics have been brilliant in the fact that they've actually provided certain courses and certain opportunities for myself and for other key personnel and, and, and coaching staff to help develop them. And something I've just done recently is actually a mentoring course. And at the start, I went in it with a little bit of a closed mind thinking, okay, well, let's see what this brings. And it's actually opened my mind so much. And it's what it's an incredible course with so many amazing people involved in it. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful of that opportunity that I had. And I used a lot of those open questions to help bring stuff out of people, out of the athletes and out of other coaches. So they start reflecting on themselves because quite often when you are a passionate, driven individual, it's hard to be given feedback. It's hard to be given uh, negative feedback or criticism, if you like. But actually, when you question someone, they'll often reflect themselves in their answer and it will make them realize where they might need to adjust slightly. So that was a really powerful course that I've, I've, I've been on. I've still actually got one more uh, interaction left to do. So yeah, if something is offered to me, I'll take it. But I know that I should probably be a little bit more forthright of finding those things myself. Very good. I just wanted to ask you about your work with British Gymnastics. You said you're a technical advisor. That's right. When did you get involved at that level and what does your role actually entail? So uh, obviously I've worked with British Gymnastics pretty much my whole career alongside them with the, the athletes going on trips and stuff like that. And um, there have been certain interactions like coaching courses or presentations or keynote speeches that I've done uh, with them. But there was this opportunity to help drive a new culture in gymnastics because you work with young athletes for such a long period of time. Sometimes it's hard to make those changes. So because I'd been able to do it particularly well, I think there was an opportunity for me to help guide and lead a group of upcoming coaches to help make sure that we did that in the best possible way. And of course, my experiences at high, you know, high level and, and in a high performing um, culture and environment, I think people wanted to be able to tap into that. So that's what I want to try and bring to the table. And that's to give people the confidence to be able to change and make those changes, but also keep that high performance aspect to the training because quite often if you make a change you can lose that performance for a while and it's important that we make those changes but it's very important we don't lose the performance so it's just bringing those two things together and try and implement them but it's a great team and everybody's really on board and i'm loving every single minute of it oh fantastic uh, what sort of questions do you get asked them by other coaches i think it's around if you see something wrong that you know you need to do differently. It's rather than saying you need to do X, Y, and Z, it's what did you learn from that? What do you think you need to do? And actually having two or three different athletes say two or three different things and individualize. So individualization is a key thing um, that we're trying to make sure that we're bringing into the coaching sort of setup within British Gymnastics. And my experience as a, as a personal coach is that is one of the most powerful things you can do. I don't like the word dictate, but effectively dictate what the programs are, what you need to do. You can potentially limit or seal in what the potential is. Whereas actually, if you bring in the athlete, 
to those decisions and to that programming, you can build so much more and potentially gain so much more. But there's a flip side. You might get an athlete that might think they want to do less than maybe they need to. And it's having the confidence to let them go on that journey and learn that so that they come to their own conclusion that they need to change that program rather than just saying, you're wrong, you need to do it this way. Because I think, you know, that's really important to bring people on board and give them the confidence in the coaching team, at, you know, in this crucial time. And sticking with that athlete coach dynamic, is it important to also have conversations with the wider disciplines, whether that be strength and conditioning, physiotherapy, all the other elements that go into creating a high performer? Absolutely. And it's important that the coach is part of all of those conversations. It's important that a coach would never administer physiotherapy or diagnose a problem, but it's important that they're involved in those conversations so that the management around that is very clear and the communication is very clear so that the athlete gets the best support moving forwards. But all of those key areas are all going to bring in their one or two percent. And if you can align everybody so they're all working in the same way, in the same direction, you, you it's going to be brilliant. You're going to get so much success. Scott, I want to talk to you about mental health in high performance, something which is becoming only more prevalent in the sports industry. It's something that we're hearing a lot here at the Leaders Performance Institute. And I, um, I read an article recently which highlighted how Max had really struggled in the aftermath of the Tokyo Olympics. I think he said he felt um, that a lot was on his shoulders. He started to fear failure in terms of moving forward and even contemplated, you know, potentially um, retiring and stopping from competing altogether. So when a situation like that occurs, what do you think a head coach should sort of practically be doing to help guide their team or their athlete? through that difficult period. No, absolutely. I think um again making sure that you're you're able to have those conversations with the athlete is absolutely important and you're you're able to have those open conversations. But you're not there to fix, you're there to guide. You, you, you know, as a coach you've you've been that that rock, that support, that guidance throughout the whole journey. So you can't all of a sudden jump into, you know, a practitioner. So it's important to sort of try to help encourage the athlete to reach out and to make those connections with people that are going to be able to help, the qualified, good people that are, that are able to help. But also just helping by giving the confidence in what they've achieved and, you know, where the next part of the journey can go. I think just being there is is worth its weight in gold because quite often when an athlete is at the pinnacle of their career and they've, they've, they've achieved something, there, there could be a break from training so the athlete and coach are separated so it's just making sure you're there all the time and you're giving that communication and guidance i know when max spoke to me about getting back in the gym and making this next drive towards paris it wasn't just a yes from me let's do it it was a have you considered all of the obstacles and all of the challenges that are going to come that way and are you prepared and spoken about we spoke in detail about all the different different things that we may experience on this so there was a, the, a big communication around have you are you planning or working on what you're going to do next so that you don't fall into that situation again in the future and I think they was all really really positive conversations and now Max is in a really strong place a great mindset and his training is going so so well so yeah it's just having that ability to be there with the athlete and support them but not necessarily have the answers. 
It's almost like a bit of a soundboard. Yeah. Yeah. That's obviously mental health for the athlete. And obviously you're kind of all too familiar with that, given that he's your athlete, you know, he's come to you and spoken about having a problem and uh, spoken about his mental health struggles. You're aware of that, but I'm sure there's been scenarios where your mental health has been affected over the years through rigorous competition and, you know, Olympic Games and, and so on. So what do you kind of do as a head coach to protect your own mental health and well-being well it's interesting because actually after rio olympics i had never experienced anything like i did before everything was just a whirlwind of emotions leading up to it if you can imagine going from country to country hotel to hotel you're waiting on hand and foot you're in you know, your own room you've got your own space uh, you've got the highs of competitions you've got the lows of competitions you've got the pressure you've got all of those things and then you get the most incredible results that you could even dream of and the only emotion you can feel you have 10 minutes of of like pure like it's incredible it's euphoria and then after that it's just relief is literally thank god that is over and that result was what it was and then you get home and all of a sudden you're hoovering the floor in your living room and it hit me. It was it was just, you know, what was it all for? Like, why, why, what's happened? You know, no, no one's, you know, holding you on a pedestal. No one's coming round and and um, helping you with anything. Now it's done. You're you're on your own. And it it was really hard. It was really hard. And um, knowing that that is a possibility is what helped me and of course that's not the answer that you want you don't want someone to have to experience that low to be able to identify in the future but for me I did experience that low so I was prepared for it so actually lead going into Tokyo I gave myself the tools that I needed to make sure that I was ready to to go on that journey come out the other side decompress slowly and then go back into normal life but I think there needs to be guidance for coaches to be able to, to reach out and have that support because it is such a pressurised whirlwind of emotions all the way through. So I think having having people to talk to, having support, having mental health support and identifying any issues and being able to talk about them are all absolutely key for both coach and athlete and anybody else that's involved in that journey. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's totally, um, totally agree with you on that one, Scott. I think that's something we're hearing more and more at the Leaders Performance Institute. And I think we're doing our best to sort of program our our various content pieces and our various sort of events to incorporate more and more about mental health and wellbeing because it's a prevalent topic. And as you say, it's it's an important one that that is spoken about and um, and more and more people are kind of aware of in terms of how they can improve and, and protect it. So definitely agree with you on that. Scott, I've got a quick fire round for you. So looking for one word or one sentence answers if possible. Ready? Early mornings or late nights? Early mornings. What do you do to de-stress? Run. One word or phrase to describe your coaching or leadership style? Approachable. <laughs> Top tip when travelling to a tournament or competition? Stay calm, no knee-jerk reactions. A soft skill you're keen to develop or improve on in 2023? Listening. Could you expand on that a little bit? I guess as a younger coach, I probably wasn't the best listener. 
as a more experienced coach, I'm a good listener, but I've found the power in listening and I want to be able to do it without giving my own opinion too soon. I want to be able to listen, take it on board uh, and maybe learn from what I'm being told, but also be able to reflect to give the good feedback I, I should be able to be giving that person. A trend across the high performance space you're monitoring closely. A language. Last one. Best coaching advice you've ever been given. Stay calm. No knee-jerk reactions. <laughs> Very good. Picking up on um, some similarities there. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Tokyo. You mentioned Rio. Two events that are obviously in the past. What's uh, what's next for you this year? So uh, we're off to the Europeans, hopefully. We're just waiting for the selections to come out. But I'm quietly confident that Max has done enough to, to hopefully make that team. So we're preparing for that. That's in Turkey. That will be Max's first competition back like on the world stage uh, since Tokyo. Um, he's only done two competitions since. They've both been successful. And um, I'm really, really excited to see how he does. At 30 years old. Excellent. Well, Scott, really appreciate you coming into the uh, the Leader Studios today and um, all the best for the, the upcoming tournament and uh, for Paris 2024. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.